This is Prophecies of Zechariah, number four. But before we get there, I want to cover something. We hear a lot about AI, that is artificial intelligence. Now, I saw a couple of exposés on the internet about AI. And AI takes an awful lot of computers, lined up one after the other, all connected together. They use an enormous amount of power and electricity. And also, they use an enormous amount of water to cool them. And I was astonished. And America has 57% of artificial intelligence and knowledge. The one that's closest to us is Germany with 9%. And all the rest trail behind. Well, there are many things that can be done in finding information and so forth on AI. So Mike Flake, he wanted to know if AI could tap into the faithful version. So he asked AI if they could produce the order of the books of the New Testament from a faithful version. So it went to faithful version, that whole thing, listed them all out. Very interesting. When it came to First and Second Peter, no difference. We're just Petros, Petros. When it came to First, Second, Third John, it was Ioannis, Ioannis, Ioannis. So it wasn't really quite as refined as you might expect it would be if for the purpose that it has. So then he asked the question, follow-up question. If I ask a general Bible question and want an answer from a translation that accurately follows the original manuscript, what translation will AI most likely choose. Okay. Now here's where it exposes AI. It's by the establishment, for the establishment, to keep power for the establishment. Okay. So here's the answer he got back. If you ask a general Bible question, specifically request an answer from a translation that accurately follows the original manuscript, AI will prioritize, put in first place, okay? Which what? Shows the bias of the establishment. Remember, AI is by the establishment, and for the establishment, to keep power for the establishment. So let me read on. Here's what he would choose. New American Standard Bible. 
English Standard Version and Christian Standard Bible. Now, what we're going to do is this. We're going to put AI to the test. Is AI made with the built-in prejudice of the establishment? Now, the reason being is because there are serious errors and flaws in these three translations. Now, we've got a booklet by Joseph Ackerman which shows comparison of 27 New Testaments. And every one of them have errors, establishment Catholic and Protestant belief of the Trinity. So we're going to put them to the test because what I want to do, I want to send Joseph Ackerman's book to AI so they can have the input of it. Comparison. And we will see what AI will do with that. Okay. Now then we will do another thing. We will also show that the faithful version, as we have it, is unique. Not just different, but unique in two ways. Number one, all the books of the Bible are in their manuscript order. In English, it is the only Bible in the world in its manuscript order in one volume. There are a couple of versions that have four or five volumes of it, but not in one volume. Number two, the translations in the faithful version are far more accurate to the original language than any of the others. Now, speaking of the English Standard Version, when they did that on the translating committee, they had Michael B. Wallace. Okay? Now, who is he? He is the leading expert of Greek, and he's head of the New Testament Department at the Dallas Theological Seminary. The leading expert in the world of New Testament Greek. And when they were translating it, now you can read this in Appendix N of the Bible. Because he lamented that he could not get the translators of the English Standard Version to correctly translate 
the Holy Spirit as it instead of he. It, the power of God. And all of the Greek, and I know the Greek there, forward and backwards, does not sustain anything whatsoever concerning personhood of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've got a a book on that, which we also need to get to uh, AI to help back up what we're saying. Okay. So, what we want to do then is see if AI will prioritize to the most accurate version rather than the one that has greater numbers of circulation. Accuracy for AI should be prioritized above anything else, right? You would think so. So, since Faithful Version is the only version that has all the books of the Old Testament and New Testament in the original manuscript order, that should be priority number one. Right? But that's a threat to the establishment. Okay? Then I'd like to have prioritized number one by AI with this book. A Harmony of the Gospels in Modern English, The Life of Jesus Christ. And it's in its third edition, right? Okay. Now, why is this unique? Because it is the only Harmony of the Gospels ever printed in any language that uses what? The calculated Hebrew calendar as the way of reckoning time for the structure of the sequence of events in the life of Jesus Christ. And it shows that Jesus was not born on Christmas and every single Christian denomination knows that to be a fact. Likewise, they all admit, and I'll see if I can post that online. This was put out somewhere at the beginning of the uh, 1900s, that all of the churches were surveyed, all the Sunday keepers, and all the Sunday keepers did what? Admitted that Sabbath was the only day to be observed, Old Testament and New Testament. Wouldn't that be nice to have that on AI? Someone plug in and say, Well, what do the churches think about Sabbath keeping? 
Boom, up comes this 30-page report of all the denominations admitting that it should be on the Sabbath. Like to do one more, unique. See, because many of the things that we have produced and published, as far as the world is concerned, as compared to what is out there for everyone, Many of our publications are unique, meaning there is not another one like it. There is not another harmony of the Gospels that shows accurately the three days and three nights of Christ in the tomb. There is not a harmony of the Gospels which shows accurately when he was raised from the dead. There is not a harmony of the Gospels or how shall we say, a commentary of those passages in the New Testament that Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights, and AI ought to know that Friday night to Sunday morning is not three days and three nights, is it? Okay, so we'll find out. They say AI is really so smart. It's almost human-like. Well, let's find out. Is it honest? Or is it deceitful? Because deceitful men have programmed it to be deceitful. Amazing, huh? Okay. So here we go. Christian Passover, we're going to have this being printed right now. We're down to about 40 of the books left, so we're getting 3,000 more printed. Okay, There is no other book in the world like this book, which tells the truth of the Passover. But let's see, does AI show the truth of the Passover with the timing of the Passover on the day of the Passover? Or does it have Jewish tradition of the 15th Passover? Or does it have communion from Catholics? Or does it have the Lord's Supper? from Protestants. We will find out because we'll put it to the test. Be very interesting indeed because these three books should be number one in prioritizing anything concerning the subject of these three books than any of the other books in the world in English. So let's see what they do. Okay. So this also tells us, brethren, how important it is what we are doing. And how important it is that now we're in a position to give out a great number of Bibles without cost to anyone. And we're thankful that you have been so responsive 
in asking for Bibles to pass out to those in other churches of God and others who were deeply interested in the Word of God, and you have requested them and we're getting them out to you, and it's going to be a great and wonderful thing because what better thing could any church of God give to anyone than the Bible, the Holy Bible in its original order, with commentaries and appendices and a proper, correct translation, Old Testament and New Testament. And God has put us in a position that we can make those available without cost. So we appreciate all the brethren who now have been active in asking for the Bibles to pass out. Remember this. In the calfskin, there are eight in a box. In the vinyl, there are six to a box. In the paperback, there are eight to a box. And in the Greek interlinear, there are four to a box. And we've had a lot of good requests on the interlinear. So all of these, they are here. They're in the warehouse. They're paid for. And we are happy to have you help distribute that to all the brethren. And that will be a great thing that we can do. So I want to thank you and thank you for participating in it and making it possible. So let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll continue with Zechariah Prophecies number four. Prophecies in Zechariah number four, and as we have seen, there are a good number of prophecies that fit in different time frames and different fulfillments. Okay. Here in chapter 9, where we left off last time, we come down here to, to verse 9 in chapter 9, and here's a prophecy right directly to a specific event on a specific day when Christ came into Jerusalem. Now, this is where we ended up last time, so let's pick it up here again, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to you in triumph and victorious. Yet meek and riding on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay. Now, one verse, specific time, you can look it up in the, in the Gospels. Okay. Then the other ones here that, that tie together, he says here, verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and they shall speak peace to the nations. And 
His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's the setting up of the, of the kingdom of God in the millennium. See? So you see how these prophecies are put together in a non-sequential way, but in an event that will be fulfilled. Now, this is why when people who do not understand the Sabbath and the holy days is the framework for understanding how prophecy is fulfilled, that they can't understand how these prophecies work together. Because verse 9 is one age, verse 10 is another age. Okay? Let's come down here to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord in the time of the latter rain, the Lord who makes storms, clouds, and gathers showers of rain, and to every one vegetation in the field. For the household idols speak lawlessness. All right? Now then, isn't it interesting? Because a lot of these pagan gods say that they control the weather. Well, God is showing they don't. Okay? And the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain, therefore they wander like sheep, and they are afflicted because there is no shepherd. Okay, now isn't that true? You look at it today. No one out there except the churches of God and some in varying degrees within the churches of God and helping serve the brethren and do what they need to do. See? My anger was kindled against the shepherds and I will punish the he goats. You can read Ezekiel 37. You can read Jeremiah 23 because these tie in together with it. See? Now, I saw recently a production on YouTube about the 50 most evil Christians. And those are all the evangelists. All the notoriety ones did a very good job in showing their weakness. Guess who the number one evil one was, is? Kenneth Copeland. You know how much he's worth? $740 million. Has Satan well rewarded his servant? Uh-huh. Yes, indeed. Wait till you hear what he's done to the Lord's Supper. I'll save that a little later on. But that is one of the most satanic things possible. Okay? So much for the establishment, right? <laughs> okay, let's go on. For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and has made them his beautiful horse in battle. Okay? Now, we are seeing that partially fulfilled right now 
with what's going on with Gaza and the Hamas and the soon coming temple. All of this is being fulfilled right now. And we will see how some of that is mentioned here. But just think of this. The Jews cannot build the temple until they find the right location. And God has blinded them so they don't see it. Because if they knew where it was, they would have built it already. But it's not going to be built until God says it's time to build it. Okay. And one of them came forth, the cornerstone. Now that's the cornerstone of the building. This is also an allusion to Christ who is what? The chief cornerstone. Mentioned many times in the New Testament. Out of them, the, the tent peg. Out of them, the battle bow. And out of them, every master together. And they shall be the mighty ones who trample down the enemies in the mud, in the streets, in the battle. Okay. Have you seen what they've done to Gaza? They are wasting it. And Netanyahu, I think it's pretty correct. He likens them to Amalek and the Philistines. Because the Jews know they're going to build the temple. They don't know exactly where yet, but God will reveal that. But they also understand that they cannot have any temple operations going if Hamas is lobbying rockets all the time. It must be eliminated, and they will do it. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them. Okay? Now, a lot of people look at it and say, well, the Jews have been so sinful and so wrong, which they have been. And they have been serving Satan the devil, which they have been. Well, has not the whole world been serving Satan the devil? All right. So now God is going to choose because he's going to fulfill prophecy that the temple will be built. So this has to happen. It has to be the complete abolishment and elimination of Hamas. So that's what they're looking for, okay? Verse 6, I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will strengthen the house of, of Joseph. So that's Ephraim and Manasseh, okay? Right now, it's concentrating on the Jews. And I will return to save them, and I will have mercy on them, which then projects into what? Into the millennium and being brought back to the, to the land. Okay. And they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Ephraim shall be like a mighty one, and their heart shall rejoice as those through wine. And their children shall see and be glad, and their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. Now that's all in the millennium. So this is what we can understand when we have the knowledge of the Sabbath 
and the holy days. Here's a verse. Oh, that applies over here. Here's another verse. Oh, that applies to this event in the New Testament. Here's another verse. Oh, that applies to the millennium. Here's another verse, and that applies to what's going on right now. But yet, they may follow in, in a manner that looks like they're sequential, but they're not. So that's why it's so difficult, especially here in the book of Zechariah. And Ephraim shall be like a mighty one, and their hearts shall rejoice uh, as though wine, and their children shall see and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them. I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they formerly increased. Okay? Now that's talking about nationally. Okay? So this shows what? Again, the beginning of the millennium. And I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in distant countries, and they shall live with their children, and they shall return. And I will bring them again out of the land of Egypt, and I will gather them out of Assyria. I will bring them uh, into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until there is no more room to be found for them. And they shall pass through the sea of affliction and shall strike the staves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall dry up. Okay, this is another prophecy completely unrelated in that God actually caused the Nile River to virtually dry up and flow slowly like oil. Now, at that time, a lot of the Egyptians moved out of there and went over to India. That's quite a thing, okay? But he says, And the pride of the Assyrians shall be humbled, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, that is, the people of God, and they shall walk up and down in my name, says the Lord. Okay? So that's quite a thing. Now let's look at chapter 10, because there are certain things here of prophecies to be fulfilled as well. And just as much as you can keep tabs on what's going on over there right now, because what is one of the things they're doing right now with Hezbollah? Now, Hezbollah is in Lebanon. And they're working on a peace agreement between the Jews and Hezbollah right now. Because Hezbollah, looking at Gaza, says, Uh-oh, we don't want that. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. And I think everything that's taking place is going to lead to the eventual building of the temple. And then, as they're building it, there has to come the two witnesses, as well as the last or third Elijah. So we're living in times, people say, well, you know, back in biblical times, 
Well, we need to say, here now, in biblical times today, <laughs> because that's what we're seeing, see? All right? So, this talks about all the, all the things that they did in fighting, and it was warring, and there was a flock of slaughter, uh, verse 7, and I also cut off three shepherds in one month. I haven't been able to find out what actually that that specifically applied to, but it will be there someplace. And then he comes down here to verse 10. Now, this is important because it tells us what's going to happen with the New Testament. But just in this one short verse, I took my staff, grace, and broke it apart. That's Christ. He had to be broken and beaten in order for the grace of God to be applied. To annul my covenant, which I made with all the people. Now then, Christ, when he was the Lord God of the Old Testament, was what? The husband to Israel, correct? Now, what is he to be? to the New Testament church. The husband to the church. But you can't have two wives. And the covenant with the people of the 12 tribes of Israel had to be broken. Now, Paul explains this in Romans 7. Now, it's a little difficult to understand, but if you read it in relationship to the covenant that God made with the 12 tribes and the death of Christ and then his being resurrected and then being the betrothed to the church or the church betrothed to him, okay, then you will, you will understand. But this one verse where he says, I broke my staff grace and broke it apart to annul my covenant, which I made with all the people. And it was annulled in that day. So the poor of the land who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Okay. And I said to them, if it is good, give me my price. Now, here is a specific prophecy for a one-time event at a specific instant in time. And this is the betrayal of Jesus. That's how the covenant was broken. See? Because in order to undo a covenant, in order to break a covenant, one of the parties must die. Now, the choice was all Israel would die or God manifest in the flesh would die. So it was God manifest in the flesh who'd die. Okay? And it had to be a betrayal. 
So let's read it, verse 12. And I said to them, if it is good, give me the price, give me my price, and if not, let it go. So they weighed my price, 30 pieces of silver. Now, do you think that the priest and Judas knew of this prophecy when they did that? Of course not. No. But it happened. Exactly right. And all during the whole ministry of Jesus Christ, there was no opportunity to betray him. And even the disciples, they didn't know that it was Judas until the very last thing. Remember when the 12 went out on on the mission to heal the sick and to preach the gospel? Judas healed the sick. Judas preached the gospel. Okay. And they didn't know that he was chosen specifically to betray Jesus. And the betrayal on a particular day, at a particular time, with a particular price of 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. And isn't that what Judas did? After Satan dispossessed him, he saw that he had a righteous man put to death, but it was too late. So he took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it back into the temple. And so the priest said, well, we can't put this in the treasury because it's blood money. So what did they do? They bought a field, which was a burial place for the poor or the potter. Okay. Throw it to the potter, the, price, the princely price which I was valued by them, and I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter into the house of the Lord. Okay. Then I broke my other staff union apart, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And, of course, from that time forward, there was that total separation. All right, then he talks about the foolish shepherd and the worthless shepherd. Uh, what does this get down to? This gets down to the time we're coming down from the time of the temple being finished in 515 B.C. on down. They had a lot of good times at that time in 330 B.C., there became the king of the north, the, Sel the Seleucid, and the king of the south, the Ptolemy down in Egypt. And they had back and forth battles, but none of them were uh, destructive battles to the point that Jerusalem lost people and so forth. But the priesthood, again, corrupted itself. So I assume, I can't prove it, that these worthless shepherds were those who desecrated the temple again. Because in 169 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes came down as punishment from God 
because of the behavior of the priest. And the priest of the line of Aaron, Onias III, he was so corrupt that they re- that the rest of the priest removed him, and he went down to Neontopolis in Egypt and was able to get an abandoned pagan temple and set up a worship service there. And that was the beginning. Most people don't know that. So if you don't have the series scripturalism versus Judaism, we have all of that history there. And he set up a worship service, and he knew he couldn't offer sacrifices. So what did he offer? Wine and bread. What is used with the Eucharist by the Catholics to this day? Wine and bread. See, because the Catholic Church actually came out of Egypt. Through him, who used to be a high priest at the temple of God. Rather twisted, huh? All right. Now let's come to chapter 12. Okay. Chapter 12 and verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, thus says the Lord, who stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, now this verse right here can be applied over and over and over again. Just look at it in our day. Look at it during the crusade. Look at it during all the time of the history of the sins of Israel and Judah. Okay? But this applies to the end time. So let's read it, verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people all around. And when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem... Isn't that true? Isn't there a siege against Judah and Jerusalem? Yes, indeed. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, and all who burden themselves with it shall be cut to pieces, though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. And that has happened over and over again. Look at all the crusades. Look what happened at the end of World War I. After centuries back and forth, Europe and, and the Arabs and the Islamists and Jerusalem and the Templars, the Knights Templars, and the Catholic Church, all of that, that, that's all included right in here in this verse. Okay, Verse 4. In that day I will strike every horse with terror and his rider with madness, and I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the people of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. Isn't that what they're doing right today? This verse right here, the leaders of Judah. And who's gathered against it? Well, you have Hamas. You've got Iran. 
You've got Hezbollah. You've got Turkey. Who else are you going to have? Okay. Egypt is kind of laying low at the present time. Okay. There it is. And in that day I'll make the governors of Judah like the hearth of fire among the wood and like the torch of fire among the sheaves, and they shall devour all the people all around on the right hand and on the left hand, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her place, even in Jerusalem. Okay? Now, that happened when they came back out of Babylon. That is happening again right now. It happened in 1917 when the British freed Jerusalem from the Arabs. So this verse, these verses can fulfill quite a few different prophecies. Now, verse 7, And the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. And yet, down through history, what? They were the worst of all the tribes of Israel. But God is going to save them first. So God doesn't operate like we think. He operates the way he's going to. So that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the people of Jerusalem may be magnified above Judah. And in that day, the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and it shall be he who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God and like the angel of the Lord before them. And isn't that the way that it's happening to Hamas right now? Have you seen what they're doing to Hamas where they live? They're tearing it down to the ground. They're going to fill in all those tunnels with seawater. Okay. And who's going to stop them? Nobody. You and can't stop them. Biden can't stop them. No one else can stop them. In Turkey, one of the members of parliament there got up and was denouncing the Jews for all of the things they're doing against Hamas and ranted and raved in just an absolute firestorm of speech. And then, bang, he dropped over with a massive heart attack, rushed to the hospital, and died. Now, was that a sign to Turkey? Don't meddle with Jerusalem, or I'm going to knock you down just like I knocked this man down. See? That was no small matter. That was living prophecy. Right here, we just read it. See? Okay. Now, verse 9. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Okay. Now that's why it says in, in other parts here that we may get to it, which is this. 
that they'll come and take hold the skirt of a Jew and say, I know God is with you. Let me go with you. <laughs> That's totally different than what it is today, right? Can you imagine an Arab doing that today? <laughs> no, but that will happen. Okay. Now, here's what he says he's going to do. Now, we'll see this. This is, this is yet to happen. I don't know how many have seen. There's a video out there of the Levitical singers singing the anthem to live in the house of the Lord. And it's really very beautiful. All men's choir. And guess where they were singing it? At the south wall of the area where the Mosque of Omar is, which is what? Right close to where the temple should be. So if you can, if you can get that online, you get it and listen to it. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is quite a great thing. See? So we don't know what God is going to do and how he's going to do it, but there are going to be a lot of surprises for us here. This is part of it. He says here, verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and upon the people of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They will accept Christ. That's going to be an amazing thing. Now, there are some Jews today who do it. But here's a prophecy of it. And notice what will happen, okay? And they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness over him as the bitterness over the firstborn. We will probably see this kind of repentance on television. Do you imagine what it is? The Jews have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So when God brings that knowledge to them and they understand what they did and there's real repentance that God gives them, that's going to be something. Just think what that's going to be like. Okay? And in that day shall be a great morning in Jerusalem, the morning of Hadad, Rimnon in the valley of Megiddo, and the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of David apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, uh, their wives apart, the family of Levi's, family of Shimi. Now, Shimi is another priestly family, family and their wives. So that's quite a thing. So we may live to see this very thing, right here in chapter 12. Now, chapter 13 and verse 1. This is interesting. Because everyone knows where the Gihon Spring is. And everyone who knows where the temple ought to be built always comes to the Gihon Spring. Now, the Gihon Spring, as I have explained, was flowing with gushing water and gushing water up to the floor of the temple. 
because with all the sacrifices, they had to keep it clean. And of course, you look at Revelation 22, and what do you have? You have water coming out from neath, underneath the throne of the Father and the Lamb, and the river, right? Okay. Now notice what this says. And in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the people of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and for uncleanness. Will we see the Gihon Spring start gushing with water so that it is pushed up to the level of where the temple used to be? Is that what this is talking about? Could very well be. Can you imagine what that's going to be when the the Jews see that happen? I look at that this way. That is probably the sign to the Jews where they need to build the temple. And that will make all the Muslims happy because they won't have to fight over the Mosque of Omar. Okay? So then he says, It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols of the land, and they shall be remembered no more. I will cause the lying prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. Think about that. Think about how many unclean spirits are over there now with the hatred and the violence and the viciousness, okay? God's going to make them go away. I don't think we really understand what human nature is going to be like when God brings it back to the level that he wants it to be. That's going to be something. So we'll see how this goes, okay? Then the rest of chapter 13 talks about false prophets, Okay, then we have here, verse 7, another prophecy about Christ being crucified and so forth. All right, now, chapter 14, we cover every year the Feast of Tabernacles. First part of it is the return of Christ and the saints from the Sea of Glass coming down to take over possession of the world. Next part of it is the nations are going to learn to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's essentially all the things of the book of the prophecies of Zechariah. And we can see that it covers many different issues and many different ages and bringing about the understanding of what they mean, because if we can put that on the framework of the Sabbath and the Holy Days, then we can put everything together in its proper perspective. So that finishes the prophecies that we need to cover in Zechariah.